morning. Well, if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 5, where we'll start. Before we read in John 5, I'm going to start kind of with a question. And the question is meant to highlight the difference between John's gospel and the other three gospels. We often call them the synoptic gospels. We call them that because they all see Jesus' life in a very similar way, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're very similar in how they tell the story of Jesus' life. They're different in some ways, but they're much more similar than John is to any one of the others. And I just want to highlight a difference by starting out with kind of a question. And so, not including John, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I want you to think about some ethical teachings from the other Gospels. So, Jesus is teaching about what's right, what's wrong, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And for me, whenever I hear that, I think like, uh, you know, like, it's kind of hard to think of something. So it might be easier, even if you, if you can think of something from all the Gospels, that's great. But maybe even easier if you think maybe Sermon on the Mount, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. Things that Jesus said that are good or that you should do or wrong that you shouldn't do. Um, an example not from the Gospels but from the Old Testament would be like some of the Ten Commandments would be things you should do. Um, love the Lord your God. And, uh, that's actually the Shema. But the Ten Commandments would be you know, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Those are ethical commands. So it's just kind of an example there. But I'm thinking from the Gospels if anyone can think of any. From other than John. Jesus says not to look with lust upon anyone. Yep, that's right. Yep, that's Sermon on the Mount. Um, yep, oh yeah, that's good. I, I wasn't thinking of that, but for sure um, we should give to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's, yep. Store up treasure in heaven. Store up treasure in heaven, yep. Love your enemy, yes. There's a, there's a lot. We could keep going. Um, what about some negative ones, things we shouldn't do? Jesus is kind of speaking out against. You think of any of those? Don't do as the Pharisees do, do what they please. Yes, don't do what the Pharisees do. There's a lot to that. Hypocrisy seems like a big one. He teaches against a lot. Um, doing things to be seen by men. Um, so there's there's that for sure. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Yeah, that's good. And uh, while you're thinking, if you can think of any more, keep thinking. And I want you to notice that many of those are direct commands from Jesus, you know, imperatives. This is what you should do or you should not do. So just something to note there. Any more before we move on? All right. 
Well, there's a lot, and we could probably keep going, and especially if you opened up your Bible and looked through it. Now, I want you to think, um, in some ways I'm oversimplifying, but same question, exact same question, um, except John chapters 1 through 12. Any ethical commands, things you should do or should not do. Ah, that's good. Yes. Yes, that's right. John chapter 10. Yes, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's many like that where it's at first you might think, what what about this? And then notice, well, it's not actually a command there. Easier or more difficult (laughs) between the two? There's almost none. Um, Very, very few, and it's possible that I missed some. Um, But... That's what I wanted you to notice. There is one that comes up maybe 20 to 30 or 40 times one that happens over and over. Um, And so let's start in John 5, and then I'll read some from the other parts. Um, So there's one note that Jesus, through the writer John, is hitting over and over in in John in a way that the other Gospels don't. So let's start in John 5, verse 16, and we're going to read. There's a lot here, but uh, let's go ahead and read five sixteen through the end of the chapter. So Jesus had just healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And this... Verse 16, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son, and the Son shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent them. Sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel for this do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear I judge, my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe on the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So I just started that by asking you the question about the ethical commands, just to highlight the way John is set up and the way that the other Gospels aren't. John really hits one thing over and over and over from John chapter 1 to 12 before it starts command Jesus giving commands on your life in terms of this is what you should or shouldn't do he has one command over and over and over that he says which is believe believe and that's basically the only thing he hits from John maybe just a few here and there but the vast majority is believe from 1 to 12 and then when he gets into 13 then he starts talking about how to do you live the Christian life more? There are more commands after that, ethical commands. But he starts it out with believe for 12 chapters, basically. Maybe a few few small exceptions, but certainly significantly different than Matthew, Mark, or Luke, where there's a lot of these teachings mixed in, uh, teachings against divorce, teachings against uh, hypocrisy, teachings for something generosity, things like that. 
Whereas in John, there really isn't. Even when he confronts the woman at the well, he does bring up her husband that is not her husband, but he doesn't actually say anything against it. He just says that. Um, And then he goes on to talk to her about the father and who he is. And so even there, he touches on it, but he doesn't actually give any commands there, or he doesn't even actually say anything negative really about it. He just kind of brings it up and says, you know, he's not your husband. And she kind of draws a conclusion there. So all that is to say, just to notice this, that in John, one thing that we want to take from this for sure is faith. We want to believe God. That's the foundation. That all the ethical commands uh, are nothing if we don't start with faith in believing in the Father and the Son, trusting them, hoping in them. And just to highlight that, I'm going to read quite a few of these verses here from John 1 to 12 and a little bit from after that. Just I want today just to hit one thing, and this is the main point that I'm going to hit the whole time, is just that you would see that we should believe, uh, have faith in the Father and the Son, and that that will give us life, brings life. And that's what John hits over and over, the connection between faith in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit leads to life. And so just to highlight that, how much it comes up, I'm going to read you quite a few verses. I'm I'm not going to read their references. I'm just going to go through it because there's quite a few. But notice the connection there between believing, which John actually doesn't use the word faith. He uses the word believe. And just a reminder, I've said this over and over, but it's really, really important that you get this. And um, the word faith and the word believe are the same word. Just like the word hammer is, in English, is what you hold. You hold a hammer, and what you do with it is hammer. So you have a hammer, and what you do is hammer. And in Greek, faith and believe are that connected. It's the same word with a different ending. One's a verb ending, one's a noun ending. And so you've got, when you hear faith, you need to think that the action for faith is believe. If you have faith, you will be believing And if you hear the word believe, think that means you have faith. They're that connected. It would be kind of nice if that was that case, but it's it's not. So you just have to remember that. So when I'm going to interchange believe and faith, believe and faith, um, and just remember that. It actually helps, and there's certain passages, someday we could look at a couple, where it actually really helps see the contrast of uh, one thought going all the way through when it goes back and forth, believe, faith, believe, faith. But... We'll we'll not do that today because we've got quite a few things to do already. So listen as I go through these verses for two things, believing uh, in God and the connection to life. These are all from John. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. 
And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? That's the command David brought up. Uh, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They're saying, Well, what does that mean to work for the food that perishes? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent to the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Um, if I am doing the works that the Father has given me to do, then if I am not doing the works, sorry, um, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but on account of the people standing around, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now that's a significant one. That's John chapter 20 at the end. And that's John telling the purpose of his book. I have written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, there's a lot there, and that's not even all of them, but just kind of giving you a feel for how much John is saying over and over and over, believe, believe, believe the Father. Believe the Father through the Son. Believe the, that the Father sent the Son. Believe in Jesus. Believe and you'll have life. You'll have eternal life. It's important. We, I want to just highlight one thing before we go on here that just to take note of this is an interesting verse that we read here in the middle of John chapter 5 524 it's a it's a different verse 
that kind of sticks out. And it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. I just want you to notice there that that verse says you have eternal life by believing the Father. It's interesting. Believe him who sent me. So that's uh, a different verse. A lot of the verses we read talk about Jesus, believing on Jesus. That particular verse talks about believing the one who sent Jesus. And the reason that we can say that is because Jesus is speaking the words of the Father. And when we hear Jesus and we believe him, we're believing the messenger Jesus, but we're also believing the one who sent him, the Father. He's the one speaking through Jesus. And so, this is a basic message in general. But I want just to remind us that everyone is believing in something. Everyone is finding life somewhere. Where are you? Where are you finding your life? Where are you placing your trust your faith. Who are you believing? What are you trusting in? You know, we all want, at least I think, we all want to be different. You know, we want a life-changing message. I want to hear a verse that changes my life forever for the better. It's amazing to think that over and over and over and over we need to hear just believe God, believe Jesus, trust Jesus, trust the Father, believe what he said. It's powerful because it's it's not an outward action uh, that you is immediately applicable in terms of when I leave here I'm gonna you know give money to the poor or something like that. It's deeper, but it's also more pervasive that it affects everything. Think about how believing certain things can affect your whole life. Let's let's step step aside from what Jesus is saying here, and we'll come back to it. But just think about. The difference, certain things, whether you believe them or you don't believe them, how, what a big impact that would make on the rest of your life. So I'll give you a couple examples, kind of more secular type examples. But what difference would it make in someone's life if they believed their parents didn't love them their whole life growing up? Do you think how big a difference that would make in someone's whole life? Huge. Huge. Same for reverse. What if someone really believed that their whole life? They knew, you know, I know that my parents love me, care about me. Huge difference, trajectory. What about your purpose? I mean, what if you believed that you have no purpose? You're an accident. Your life is not going anywhere. It's not an arrow shot out. It's just kind of a random assortment of things and you have no real overarching purpose in life. Or on the other hand, that you do have a purpose. What if someone believed they aren't valuable? I'm not valuable. How would that change someone's life? Huge. Is there hope? Someone believes there's no hope? How would that change their life? You know, it makes me think about some of my students that I worked with, you know, throughout the years. And one of the things that came up over and over and over was really fighting a big part of being a teacher, I felt like, was fighting the belief that hard work, no matter how hard you work, it's not going to matter. 
that really affected the kids. It's like the kids that believed, like, if I work hard, it's going to pay off versus the kids that believe no matter how hard I try, I'm still going to get a C. The you know, teacher's going to give me a C whether I spend two hours or whether I spend five minutes and go as fast as I can. So I'm just going to spend five minutes and not worry, not try so hard. Or, you know, it might be even worse. Some of the kids might think, I'm going to fail no matter what, so I might as well not try. Um, huge, just to fight that that belief that hard work really pays off, that that's, that's worth it. Um, and that was just one year that I worked with kids usually. And it was just a massive difference. And sometimes kids would get it. Sometimes you could instill, like, look, if you work hard, it's worth it. Look what happens. Look how much you, you know, succeeded here. Look at your scores going up. And then they get into it, and they enjoy it, and they believe, basically, that they can succeed. It's huge. What difference would that make across a whole life, all these things? What about all those things combined? Somebody believes their parents don't love them, they're not viable, they don't have a purpose, there isn't any hope. Hard work is not net, never going to pay off anyways. Now, really all those things you could say are just secondary examples to believing that God sent Jesus, the Father sent Jesus to the world that we might have life, right? I mean, don't all those things in many ways get tied into that? Do you believe you're valuable? You're so valuable to God that he sent his only son. We talk, we've said this before, you know, just a few weeks ago, but if all the angels became a worm, that would be infinitely less than Jesus and God himself becoming a man. God could have made a million worlds like that, but he only had one son, and he gave them for you. That's how valuable do you have a purpose? Absolutely. God has a purpose in all that he does. And you aren't an accident. You are valuable to God. And you do have a father that loves you enough to send his son to die. Is there hope? There's immense hope because the hope of the world leans on Jesus, not on our bank account, not on the government, not on the president, not on your intellect, not on anything that we can do. It's on Jesus. It's amazing, really. The thing that if I was talking to my kids, if I could say something to my kids, and I knew that I was, wasn't going to live or something like that, very long, you know, there's actually a book, I can't remember the title of the book, but there was a guy who knew that he was he was dying, he was a professor, I think, and he wrote a book basically to his kids, like, this is what's important in life. He was lost, he wasn't a Christian, but if I was to do something like that, uh, I would think I would say, believe God, trust God, have faith in God. That's the thing that you need to get. That's the one thing. If you can get that, if you can just trust God, there. The rest he'll help you with. He'll help you with everything else. If you can get that one thing, believe him. Whatever he says, just believe it. Whatever he says about you, whatever he says about himself, whatever he says you should do, should not do, just believe Jesus. He's your anchor. 
And so that's really the message here in John. And I just want you to think, you know, in our world today, there's a lot of different things that people are putting their trust in, their hope in, they're looking for life. That's where you're going to find life is in Jesus and trusting him. It could be, you know, many people, it's comfort is the is the thing they're looking to or my my life is going to be full if I have comfort and many people are trusting and looking for success or for recognition or people are looking for money uh, possessions they think that's where real life is found that's where they're putting their trust those are all going to fail and fall short but Jesus won't and Jesus actually doesn't just leave us saying, just believe me, he actually gives us reasons here. Five reasons. And this conversation actually just continues to run through John 1 through 12. And there's just this conversation Jesus is having with the Jews at the time over and over and over. God really sent me, and they're doubting, and they're like, "Ah, I don't know about that. I think you're demon-possessed. I think you're a Samaritan, is what they say to him. And he says, no. And he just basically, the rest of John, all these, all these conversations, just notice, even with the woman at the well, Nicodemus, the Jews in general, he's saying over and over, the Father sent me, the Father sent me. And they're struggling, how can this be? You know, are you the Messiah? Um, and then, who is your Father? Where is your Father? Over and over, they're wrestling with this one idea. And Jesus is telling them, believe me, believe me, believe me. I came to tell you so that you could have life. Just the patience of Jesus here with them over and over and over saying the same thing. But he gives us here four reasons in John chapter 5. And I'm going to pull in one other reason from uh, this basically long extended conversation broken up by Jesus' actions in John chapter 8. So let's go through these four reasons briefly that you should place your faith in Jesus where he's real, real life is found. And he's specifically here addressing this to, to the Jews at the time. So let's just jump in right here. Verse 32, the first reason that we ought to place our faith in Jesus or that the Jews should have place their faith in Jesus is John the Baptist's testimony. John 5.32, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Let's pause right there. The first thing he tells them is, you... you you went to John, you believed him for a little while, and what was he? What was his message? His message was pointing to me. Why don't you believe that? Why don't you go ahead and believe John? He said, I was the Lamb of God. I'm adding some things in, but if you believe John, then believe him. Don't halfway believe him. Don't, you, went and you, you went to him, you wanted to be baptized by him. Believe him. And we could say this today for other people. There's actually this interesting story from Christian history where someone comes to this uh, early Christian and who had kind of become famous. And they basically ask him for advice. And he says, why did you come to ask a fool for advice? And they said, 
we don't believe you're a fool. We think you're wise. And he says, then you need to trust Jesus. You'll, you came to me for advice, but you won't believe on Jesus and repent. It's kind of an interesting story because basically people are wanting wisdom. They're coming to this Christian, this famous Christian, because they think he's got wisdom. He'll tell me what to do. And he says, well, then if I'm not a fool, if I have wisdom, then you need to first repent and believe on Jesus. I'm not going to give you advice on what to do in this situation. Um, if you believe me for that kind of advice, why don't you believe me on the main thing, which is repent and trust Jesus? And there may be things like that in your life. I mean, are there people that are the people that you are looking up to the most, that you trust the most, you would go to, you know, with your for help? Are those people saying to you over and over, believe on Jesus? If you trust them for all these other things, why not trust them for the main thing, which is to believe Jesus? If you're looking to your parents, you trust them, you go to them for advice on what car to buy and, and things like that, big life decisions. Should I marry this person? Would you trust them when they say, you've got to believe on Jesus? That's kind of the situation here. He's saying, you believe this person, why don't you fully believe them? They're pointing to me. And so in this case, it's John the Baptist, but for us, it may be some, something else. Maybe a person in your life that you're trusting but you won't trust this one thing, believe, believe on Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing is the Father's testimony. The Father's testimony about Jesus. And this is, we'll jump in right where we had left off, 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about, about me. His voice you have never heard and his form you have never seen. So there's two things there. We're going to come back to Jesus' works in just a second. But the first one I want to hit is the Father's testimony. There was actually a voice from heaven multiple times affirming Jesus as the Son of God. We see it at the baptism of Jesus. We see it again later on. Jesus is praying, Father, glorify your name. And a voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And then, not in John, but in this other Gospels, we hear a voice from heaven as, on Mount of Transfiguration. And so, repeatedly, actually three times, God audibly speaks, affirming Jesus' sonhood that God sent him. That's pretty amazing, really. What a testimony there. <laughs> the audible speaking of God repeatedly. I mean, there may be, there may very well be people that were at all three of those. It seems like John himself may be one of them. Um, because he, you know, he was following John the Baptist at first, and he may have been at all of them. It doesn't say we don't know a hundred percent, but it seems likely that he was. Although it's possible that he wasn't with Jesus at the time in John chapter twelve, you know, because there's times you know where Jesus they leave Jesus and go do something he asks them to do. So, but that's amazing to hear the voice of God. Pretty powerful testimony. Not only that, the works of Jesus, the works Jesus did. Jesus says repeatedly that his works testify to who he is. We should believe Jesus looking at his works. This is the first part of 36. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. You look at the life of Jesus and it's self-authenticate. I mean, it's if you read about the life of Jesus, you don't come away thinking, Here's Jesus' life, and look at all the things he did, his mercy, his compassion, uh, his wisdom, his, the miracles that he did. All those things combined into this, um, you know, the pinnacle of, of human life. 
and think, maybe I should trust me and my decisions and my thoughts and my reasoning over Jesus. I think I might have it figured out better than Jesus. There's no way, right? You read his life and you know you don't have it figured out better than Jesus. You don't have it all together better than Jesus. Jesus, if you read his life, you know that he is worth trusting more than your own reasoning. I just was reading a a thing, um, came across this week, this, you know, there's a, um, you know, ethical teaching that's put into fiction books for kids. And there was one, it was a book about some video game thing, and there's this kind of rant against Christianity in it, actually, which is really strange. But it's like, it just made me think of this passage. It's like, you're a Christian kid, you're reading a book about some kid playing video games, and you come across this rant against Christianity. It's like, who are you going to believe? Like, you're going to believe this guy who wrote a book about some kids playing video games? You're going to like believe Jesus? Like, you look at his life. Like, how can you distrust Jesus? You have to put, play, place your faith somewhere. You're going to trust some authority in your life to speak into your life, even if it's your own reasoning. Who is it? I can guarantee you the guy that wrote the book about kids playing video games, didn't, his life doesn't look like Jesus' life. He doesn't have it all together. Um, it's amazing. And it's the same with a lot of things. There's people that look up to rock stars and, and people whose lives are so messed up, and they're like, I'm going to listen to whatever they say. Why not Jesus? Look at the works that he did. His life shows that you should believe him. Next is scriptures. This is the next reason that he gives. Verse, let's see, where do we leave off? Let's just go ahead and keep reading here. Let's pick up where he left off, I think, 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness. No, we already read that one. 38. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. 39. Uh, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Uh, it goes on, and if you jump down to 46, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The scriptures are an amazing witness to Jesus. I mean, about his life, the things we already said, but even the Old Testament is an amazing witness to Jesus. I think I've shared this before, but it just blows my mind. And it's just amazing every time that I think about it. That, you know, Isaiah 53, the famous passage in the Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, like a lamb, you know, sheep to the slaughter, he was silent before his shears, they pierced his hands and his feet. That might be Psalm 22. Um, it's just an amazing prophecy about Jesus. I'm going to read just a few verses from it. But one thing you have to know about, our oldest copy of the Old Testament used used to be post-Jesus, which is strange. So like the oldest copy of the Old Testament they had was after Jesus lived. Does that make sense? So like um, the oldest copy of the Old Testament was, I can't remember the exact date, but something like 200 or 300 uh, AD. And people actually said that Isaiah 53 was added by Christians and it wasn't in their pre-Jesus. Um, and we couldn't actually prove that it wasn't at that time because the oldest copy was post-Jesus. 
because they said it was too too specific. It was obviously written after Jesus. And this is, you know, some of these. He, he, he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. I mean, there's a, there's a lot in there. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silenced, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living and stricken for the transgression of my people? They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, and although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. It's just amazing. You, I mean, you should read the whole thing. Actually, just blows my mind how much it's, a, it's so much like Jesus that they had to say that it wasn't a prophecy because it was too specific. Well, the interesting thing is in the 1930s or 40s, a little shepherd boy was out in the desert watching sheep and he was throwing rocks and he was just throwing rocks just for fun. Probably, I can't remember if he was 10 or 11, somewhere around there, just throwing rocks and he threw one up into a cave and he heard a shatter. And he's like, oh wow, there's something up in that cave. And so he went up there and there was all these pots filled with scrolls and it was called the Dead Sea Scrolls, they call it. And there was all these old, old, old um, copies of the Old Testament and it pushed the oldest Old Testament back a thousand years, which is a really long time. And there was tons of them. And guess what was in there? Isaiah 53. And so it wasn't written after Jesus. It's always been there. And it's amazing. It's just, a, it's just a wonderful testimony to God how it's so perfect that they have to say, like, it can't be a prophecy. It has to be added later. It's too specific. Well, there it was. And that's just one chapter. There's so much in the scripture that points us to Jesus. And what a reason to tr- believe him. Believe Jesus. And then the last thing, I'm going to skip ahead a couple chapters, but this conversation happens over and over where Jesus is saying, no, the Father sent me. Why don't you believe me? And he's just, just like he says here in John 5, I'm saying these things that you might be saved. Jump ahead to John chapter 8. I'm going to read just a couple verses there. This is amazing. 45, 845. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This could almost be combined into what we said about Jesus' works, but I'm going to just separate it out because it's good to think about it. But we call this one, Another reason to believe Jesus is his character. His works kind of are tied into that, but let's just separate it out just to think about it for a second. His character. How many of you could stand up before your friends and your family and say, which one of you could convict me of sin? And none of them could say, remember when you did such and such? That's amazing, really. That Jesus could say this publicly and his brothers, his family members, who ended up you know, believing on him, as God, which is amazing, couldn't say anything. They couldn't say, yeah, 
I remember when you did such and such. Not only his family, his closest disciples, the people that walk around with him for three years, they couldn't say anything. His enemies that desperately wanted to kill him, they could not think of one thing to say against him. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Nothing. That's amazing. There's nobody on earth that could say in front of their family, their, their closest friends, their greatest enemies, tell me one time I did something wrong. Tell me one time I told a lie. And everyone's silent. That's amazing. That's the person you want to trust and believe. That's your anchor. That's where you want your anchor to be. Jesus. <laughs> so let's close here, just drawing all these ideas back together and just look at John, First John actually with me. It's very similar. He, he basically says the same thing in First John, which the two books that have the word Father for God per verse, if that makes sense, if you divide it out by how many verses there are. First um, John and John have the most per verse, if that makes sense. And so, even though First John is short, Father, God being our Father, appears a lot. And at the end, First John 5, 1 through 12. Uh, it's actually 6 through 12. Um, summarizes the same idea. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Very similar idea, a little bit different, but basically the idea is this. Who, where are you going to place your faith? You're going to place it somewhere. You know, even this week I heard somebody was saying basically, I only believe things that are proven by science, they said. Well, the interesting thing is you can't prove that. You should believe only in things proven by science. By science, Does that make sense? That's a, that's a statement of faith, right? You're, not, you're saying that, but you can't prove by science. That's how you should uh, make all your decisions. You're taking that on faith. The reality is everyone is placing their faith in things somewhere. They're saying they'll find life somewhere. Where are you? Where are you going to find life? Where's your anchor? What, what is it you're ultimately hoping in? Who's your highest authority? Who are you trusting? At the end of the day, when everything else is shaken, what is the anchor of your soul? Is it your bank account? Is it how good, if you're good looking or not? Is it how much uh, people praise you? Is it your comfort? Is it your own intellect? What is it? Is it a person? Because the reality is, is that there's only one sure anchor, only one place that you should place your faith that's ultimately stable, that really leads to life, and that's Jesus. Jesus. And 
this makes it really, really simple. I love this verse because you have to say one or the other. It was Jesus and the Father. Are they liars? Or are you going to believe them? That's the only options. If Jesus says, here's where real life is found, here's where you should place your faith and your trust, it's me. And you say, I'm not sure about that. What you're saying is, you're saying they're wrong. Right? And that's helpful to me. Because people will say, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm just struggling. Well, does Jesus lie? No. Is Jesus trustworthy? Does the Father lie? No. We know he doesn't. So then what? Then he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth that he's where you should place your faith. It's telling the truth that he really will wash away your sins. He's telling the truth that he really will uh, be there. Uh, he'll take the burden off your back. He'll make you new. He's where real life is found. And those are really the only options. And we know... I can't, I can't say. And even people that are, you know, wrestling in doubt, people wrestling with doubt, you can't say, I've got it figured out more than, I know Jesus said this, but I think I really know better than Jesus. Can't say that. And then, and then really, really uncomfortable to say, well, why don't you just call Jesus a liar? Just say he was lying. He's wrong. He doesn't know. He's foolish. But I've got it figured out. No. We know that Jesus tells the truth. We know that he's wiser than us. We know that he's a safe place to put our faith where we can really find life is in him. Faith in the Father who sent his Son to die for our sins, who spoke to us. We believe what the Father has said through the Son who came to say it. Let's pray together. Lord, we just come to you and we are thankful for your word and we want to live out faith more. Our faith more, we want to believe you more, we want to doubt less, we know that you always tell the truth and we need help throughout the week to trust you with all everything you bring into our life, everything you've said. Would you help us? I pray that if there is anybody that hasn't trusted you that you just help them as they think about these things to really place their entire life and trust in you, their sin and their struggles and everything. I pray you'd help us, um, everyone who is trusting you for their soul and their sin, would you help us to trust you more and more this week and places where we struggle or doubt or where we um not living out what we already know, would you help us to do it and believe you? We do thank you for your life, your work. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for living the perfect life to show us. Thank you for sending John the Baptist. Thank you for other people in our life that have just spoken to us about the truth, trustworthy Christians you've put in our life. Thank you for the Bible, and thank you for just time together today. Lift this all up to you. We trust you and love you. Amen.